0: In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Fear is contagious. When Moses gives Israel laws concerning warfare in Deuteronomy chapter 20, the officers are told to keep fearful men off the battle lines. Why? Because fear spreads quickly, and it could create a defeat. Is there any man who is fearful and faint-hearted, Let him go back to his house, lest he make the heart of his fellows melt like his own. Deuteronomy 20, verse 8. Those who are given over to fear can start to see everything around them as confirmation of their fears. And this, of course, makes them more fearful. The psalmist speaks of this sort of person in Psalm 55, verse 5. There they are in great terror where there is no terror. We should be concerned about the spread of a highly contagious virus and do our part to stop its spread. We should also work just as hard to stop the spread of another contagious disease, a spiritual disease, and that's the disease of fear and panic. There's the plague that must be dealt with, and then there's the panic that must be dealt with also. Now, there's... (coughs) Excuse me. Now, there's a healthy fear. I want my children to fear the street where cars zoom and race by. I want my kids to fear the riptides in the ocean. I want them to have a healthy fear of the Lord as their creator and maker. But there's another type of fear that I want my children and myself and all of us to fight. And that is a fear of the future and fear of death. The pandemic has brought both of these twin fears to the surface. So the fear of the future. What will things look like six months from now? When will things return to normal? What will the economic fallout be of all of this? And will there be more deadly plagues? The questions could just multiply and multiply. When we start living in the future, it can create a situation of fear in the present. This disease, of course, has also foregrounded our mortality and the mortality of others. And it's left us scrambling. So we're having to make huge adjustments with distancing guidelines and wearing masks and limiting the size of gatherings. Why are we doing all these things? Because we wanna do everything we can to minimize death. Now, that's a good goal, but everyone will still die. And we know we can't remove every known risk of death. We have built in so many of these risks already in the way that we live. So we're living through plague and panic. We should take the problem of the plague seriously. We should certainly do that as a church, and we'll continue to do so, especially as we start to think about what it looks like coming together again. But we need to take the problem of panic seriously also. It's one thing to be sensible to follow guidelines to try to reduce risk in reasonable ways. It's quite another thing to spend every waking hour living in dread of disease, or anything else for that matter. And on top of that, feeding yourself with media that will only confirm those fears. I think the church has a great opportunity in the coming months to lead joyfully in the way that we come together. Again, taking sensible precautions, protecting the vulnerable, absolutely, but coming together without fear around the Lord's table. In our gospel lesson today, it prepares us to do just that, to live with the faithful and not the fearful. Jesus gives an invitation to all of us to live with the faithful and not the fearful. John 14, 1-14, Jesus is addressing his disciples in what's known as the Upper Room Discourse, He's about to leave his friends and his companions. He's preparing them for what's ahead, and big hint, life for followers of Jesus will not be easy. They will face hardships, persecution, and even hatred by the world. Most of the disciples, Jesus' first disciples, will lapse in their faith in major ways. In, um, in, in doing this, they will give way to fear. But amidst all this real talk that Jesus gives in this sermon, He opens and closes his message with a call to take heart and to be courageous. This is how Jesus prepares his followers for times of crisis. John 14, 1, the beginning of this. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. And then at the very end, John 16, 33. I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation but take heart, I have overcome the world. So Jesus wants his followers, you and me, to know two things. We will face trouble, but don't be troubled. Trouble is inevitable, but don't be troubled. Let not your hearts be troubled in those troubles. Jesus tells us our basic orientation to the way we're supposed to live all of our lives, in times of peace and in times of strife and it's this, verse 2 Believe in God, believe also in me. We live and act as people of faith in God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus here, he closely connects himself with the Father. That's important in this sermon, as we'll see. He wants his disciples and us to see the relationship between him and his Father and why that's so crucial. But the disciples here, they're sad because Jesus is departing, he's going away. But Jesus doesn't want them to be sad because. What he's going to do will benefit them in ways that they can't even imagine right now. Now, imagine a family living as nomads a long time ago in a desolate desert land, moving from place to place, and the father of the family falls on good fortune, and he buys a piece of property in a lush land 200 miles away, but he must take a journey ahead of his family. To build this great house on that property. It will take time. It will require them being apart for a period of time. But it will be temporary. And the separation will be better for them because they will be united in a big house dwelling together. Now, Jesus tells us here that he is going away to prepare a house. So in John 14, verses 2 through 3, My father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself, that where I am you may also be. But what is this house that Jesus is referring to? The only other place that Jesus refers to his Father's house is the temple. In the beginning of John's Gospel, Jesus visits the temple and You may recall the story how Jesus drives out the money changers, those who are desecrating the temple. And he says in John chapter 2, Take these things away to the traders. Do not make my father's house a house of trade. When the prophet Ezekiel has a vision of a new temple, he is given this tour of this vast temple. And what is he given a tour of? Rooms. Room by room, he goes. Looking, measuring, and beholding this new temple. The temple is the meeting place of heaven and earth. It's the dwelling place of Yahweh. And Jesus is preparing his Father's house, a new temple that will accommodate everyone who follows him. Jesus goes ahead of his disciples to finish building this temple. And he promises. To receive us into this house. When he's done building this temple, he says that he will receive his disciples to himself, that where I am, you may also be. Now, this passage is often understood as a passage about heaven. Jesus is preparing for us mansions in glory with many rooms. He's going to take us there when we die, and it's certainly true that when we die, to be absent in the body, to be present with the Lord, even as we wait the final ultimate resurrection, the new heavens and the new earth. But here in this context, Jesus seems to be promising us something even more immediate. In John 14, verse 18, he tells his disciples, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you yet a little while and the world will see me no more, but you will see me. In John 14, 23, Jesus promises again to come to his disciples, and he says that he and his Father will make their home with the disciples. Jesus will not leave his disciples for long. He will come back to receive them soon. In the context of John chapter 14, Jesus is promising also a helper. He's going away, but the helper will come. The Holy Spirit will come to be with the disciples, to guide them. Jesus will return to his disciples and be present with them through the Holy Spirit. The Spirit will continue the works of Christ through the disciples so that the disciples, as we read in our passage in John 14 today, might do even greater works than Christ. It's an astonishing thing to think about. Verse 12 Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these he will do because I am going to the Father. So again, Jesus goes to the Father. He completes this house he is building. And the Spirit comes and enables the church, the disciples, to carry out the work of Christ in the world. So Jesus is on a journey to his Father. He is going to finish this building project. This is the true and final temple. The true and final meeting place of heaven and on earth. Now, the new temple will be dedicated, inaugurated, by the blood sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. In the Old Testament, when Solomon builds the temple in 1 Kings, the temple is completed and then the Holy Spirit, the glory cloud of Yahweh, comes in and fills up the temple with the glory of the Lord. And so when Jesus finishes this new temple dedicated by His blood sacrifice, putting an end to blood sacrifices, The Holy Spirit will once again come upon this new temple, but in a much different way. The Holy Spirit will come at Pentecost upon the church, filling the church with the Spirit of the Lord, the Spirit of Christ. And the church becomes the temple and goes out into the world as the dwelling place of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. Jesus has prepared his Father's house for us. There is plenty of room. And it's not just a comfy place where we spend eternity in the presence of the Lord, though that is certainly true. It's a place where we live now, if we have eyes to see. And I think if we get eyes to see the reality that is now, this becomes an enormously comforting reality for us, particularly in times like this. Christian, the Father and the Son make their home in you by the Spirit even now. As you make your home in this triune fellowship, and we, church, we are the temple being built up on earth. The church is the body of Christ, the meeting place of heaven and on earth. We are the new temple. The New Testament lesson that is paired with the gospel today is pulls out this reality. Peter says and verse 4 of 1 Peter chapter 2 as you come to him a living stone rejected by men but in the sight of God chosen and precious you yourselves like living stones are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ Jesus he's the architect of this temple he's the builder of this temple he's the cornerstone of this house of his father The new temple, of course, is not made with literal stones, but Peter tells us with living stones. You and me, our children, our church, we are being built up as this house, as this temple that keeps expanding and growing, filled with the Spirit of Christ. And what's our job as those who dwell in this temple now? Well, we are a royal priesthood. We offer living sacrifices of praise and thanksgiving to God, through Jesus Christ, The living temple is where we now will forever shelter in place. Christ is with us. We are with him in fellowship with the Father and the Spirit. I've mentioned recently in sermons about the crisis of trust and authority that the pandemic has brought about. Who can we really trust in this time of crisis when so much now is at stake? So much of our livelihoods and our future seems to be at stake. We certainly need a lot of wisdom to be sure. But one thing is clear. Our firm and unwavering trust should be in Jesus. It's an embarrassingly simple message, but it is so important for us to hear. Jesus, he connects letting our hearts not being troubled to believing in him. Do you want your heart to be steady and stable and even full of joy and comfort during this time? Then Jesus tells us to look to him, to believe in him. Now, it's not just a general belief in Jesus, it's a belief in who he says he is and a belief in what he has done and what he continues to do and what he will do. Two questions are put to Jesus about what belief in him looks like by Thomas and Philip, two of his disciples. And Thomas, in verse 5, he's confused. He says, we actually, Jesus, you're talking about going someplace. We actually don't know the way. Please tell us. And Jesus makes it plain, the way to God the Father. Is through him, is through Jesus. In fact, Jesus says this is the only way. Thomas was looking for a map of sorts, a path, a road, and Jesus answers his question by saying that he's the road. Jesus is the path. Jesus is the only way to the Father. John fourteen six. Jesus he, in saying that he is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by him. He is making a radical claim of uniqueness for himself. This is an exclusive plane. Uh, claim. Jesus doesn't say all roads lead to to the Father. He, in fact, says the opposite. Or he doesn't say roads of good, well-intentioned folks lead to the Father. Jesus says simply that he's the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through him. The exclusive claims of Christianity can be a tough pill for many to swallow, and understandably so. But either we take Jesus at his word here, or we don't. And Jesus is telling Thomas in this moment of questioning and wondering, how do we get to the Father? We want to go. We want to know the way. And Jesus says that he is the way. Philip asks another question in verse 8. Philip wants Jesus to show his disciples the Father. Now, Jesus is a bit perplexed. He can't believe that Philip has been with him now for some time and isn't connecting all the dots. Jesus says in verse 9, "'Whoever has seen me has seen the Father.'" How can you say, show us the Father?" Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The Father and the Son are distinct um, persons, and yet they are one. What does God look like? This is an important question. What does God look like? Well, God looks like and is Jesus Christ. What should we believe about Jesus that our hearts might not be troubled? We should believe that He is the way, and we should believe that He is God. And, we should believe, He is already now making His home with us by His Spirit. Church of the Holy Cross, in your troubles, don't let your heart be troubled. Don't let your heart succumb to fear, whether fear of death or fear of the future. Believe in Jesus, who has revealed God to us and makes a home for us to dwell in now and for eternity. Amen.